Did you have a great Christmas, family? Yes? Had a good time with relatives and friends. We, um, uh, we enjoyed a great Christmas at my brother's house. Uh, I was telling friends, um, he lives close by, so it was great. We didn't have to be on the road at all. Didn't even have to use the freeway. <laughs> so it was fantastic. Didn't have to travel. Because I know some of uh, you all may have uh, traveled to see relatives and have to brave the weather, that great Southern California storm. Uh, but we loved uh, just being at home, being with friends and family. Uh, we had a multicultural Christmas day. It was fantastic. Fruits from very dis- different places. Um, we love Christmas. It's a great tradition at our house. Our kids especially love it, the decorations and all. But once Christmas is over, uh, you know, you got you to gotta take down the stuff. We're not going to do it here because it looks so nice. <laughs> but you got to take down the stuff because the end of the year is approaching. You got to get a lot of stuff done before the end of the year. The end of the year brings about this, um, this pressure to complete things because you're about to begin things. Complete things because we're about to begin things. And in a way, that's what we're going to do here today. We have been, for the last several months, been studying the life of Elisha, and today we're going to read the final chapter in his life. We're completing this sermon series, which some of you are like, Phew, no more cannibalism and whatever other odd things happened. Uh, we're going to complete the sermon series on Elisha as we prepare for the beginning of the year. But today, he has a special challenge for us, I believe, and God has been preparing us for this conversation. So we are in 2 Kings chapter 13. If you would please turn your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 13. Pull it out in your, in your phones, uh, smartphones, read it there. Um, <clears throat> or you can follow along in the Bible that's in the pew in front of you. <clears throat> 2 Kings chapter 13. Bible tells us there in 2 Kings verse 14, we're going to get right to it. It starts like this. Verse 14, it says, Now Elisha had been suffering from the illness from which he died. This tells us that Elisha is near the end of his life. We know he's going to die. In fact, in a few, in a few verses, uh, they'll say that he passed away and he was buried. We know that Elisha has, uh, has lived a, a fruitful life in ministry. We have so many stories and details of the things that he said and he did and how he represented God. But he was in the final stretch, quite possibly in his deathbed. He has been suffering from an illness. We don't know what the illness is, but we do know that Elisha is suffering and nearing death. But there, close to the end, he has one more story, one more moment to share with Uh, the people of Israel, and by extension, with us. If you've been with us at any point since about October, uh, you've been journeying with us through the life of Elisha. And what we began with is this this understanding that in Elisha, God was offering his people something different. If you haven't been here, if you're just here for the holidays, let me catch you up quickly. The person who comes before Elisha is well-known, Elijah the prophet, This man who confronted sin and evil dead on, he was confrontational in character. He he dared people to fight God. He called for fire from heaven. He cast famine over the land. Elijah was very confrontational. That's how he addressed issues. But after his time, his mantle was literally passed on to Elisha. And Elisha's task was different. He was bringing people hope, an invitation, not so much a confrontation, But an invitation, in Elisha's life, we have time and time again this opportunity to believe in what is possible and to be invited to trust in God. And if you read, if you were with us and you read his stories, at all points, Elisha kept saying, don't worry, God will deliver us. You can't see it, but he is there. Your eyes may not be able to see it, but he is present and he is available. He can do it. Trust in him. 
And so God's message to his people, the people of Israel, is that they should trust and return to God. Over and over again, God would deliver them, provide for them, bring relief, and his invitation was, will you trust me now? The problem was, the people of Israel would only come searching for God when they were in an ultimate emergency. But once relief was made, they would go back to doing the things they normally did. Does that sound like anybody you know? And here, near the end of his life, Elisha has one more opportunity to extend this invitation. So read it with me. Verse 14, now Elisha had been suffering from the illness from which he died, but Jehoash, king of Israel at the time, went down to see him and wept over him. My father, my father, he cried, the chariots and the horsemen of Israel. Elisha had been God's messenger, God's prophet, um, through a couple of different kings during this time. And the current king was Jehoash. And the Bible tells us a little bit about him in the verses before it, early in the chapter. We can see this book of Kings introduces each king. And usually at the beginning, they summarize their life in, in, in one of two ways. Either they did right in the eyes of God or they did evil in the eyes of God. And this one did evil in the eyes of God. But we're going to show you how. The Bible says he did evil in the eyes of God in verse 10. And then he says, and the Bible tells us this, this much about him. He comes down. He knows that Elisha is dying, he's sick, he's ill, and he weeps over him. It's as if he's expressing that he has love, admiration, and respect. He even uses this expression, my father, my father, which is the same thing Elisha cried out when Elijah left him. This idea that, that, that you're losing someone really special and that you wanted a blessing. The king cries out, my father, my father. But then he also says, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. Theologians believe he's essentially saying, you are so much more valuable. What are we going to do without you? Because if you were with us, there were many, many times when Elisha's faithfulness delivered God's people from physical attack. And he cries out, chariots and the horsemen. And Elisha sits up from his deathbed, verse 15, and he says to the king, get a bow and some arrows. One last lesson to learn. One last invitation to make. Get a bow and some arrows. And he did so. And he said, take the bow in your hands. And when he had taken it, Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. See, everything that we've read about Elisha here is symbolic. Everything, every interchange, every word that he uses, every, everything that he does is a symbol of what God is trying to offer one of the first experiences that we read about him was him saying, we need a new bowl. Do you remember that? We need a new bowl. The water was bitter. The land wasn't flowing. He says, we need a new bowl. And they got a new bowl. They put some salt in it, and the land was healed. There's a, there, everything is a symbol. And in this case, he asks for a bow and some arrows. Now, the king generally did not do the fighting, but he puts the weapon in the king's hands, and then he puts his hands over. He's symbolizing. Elisha is about to lay down in his deathbed, but he's symbolizing that God's still with the king. He will be with you. The task that you're about to go on, what you're being asked to do, God will be with you. He will give you the courage and the strength to fulfill the task. The king, however, doesn't understand this, as you'll see. He takes the bow. Elisha puts his hands on him, and then he says, open the east window and shoot and the king drew back the arrow, and he shot it. 
And Elisha cried out, the Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Aram. You will completely destroy the Arameans at Aphek. See, what Elisha's doing here is he's giving them a symbol of something that, that God is going to bring about. That's how the prophetic messages work. It's a prophecy. But in this case, it's a physical prophecy. He puts a bow and arrow in his hands. Have you ever shot a bow and arrow? I happened to buy my son a bow and arrow from uh, Costco for Christmas. But it's not a real bow. It's a Nerf one. <laughs> it's, it's got a little foam thing on the end. And uh, they spent uh, Christmas morning pew, in our neighborhood <laughs> up into the palm trees. Uh, it's pretty fascinating. You shoot it, it has this arc, and it shoots, and then eventually it comes down. The king was not a... a, a was not a, um, an archer. Thank you. Thank you. That's the word. It was, an, it was not an archer. He, he generally would have ridden in a chariot, but way at the back. And if you, if you read the rest of the stories, usually the king would hang back and send people ahead in front. But he puts this bow and arrow because he's trying to signify to the king that he has a role to play in leading the people into battle. And he says, open the east window because to the east was Syria. Or Aram, their greatest and constant enemy. And he says, shoot this arrow towards the east, towards that enemy. And when he shot it, Elisha said, the Lord's arrow of victory. God will give you victory. He's making a proclamation, a prophecy about something that God will bring to fruition. Because it is God who wins battles. It is God who defeats enemies. The king simply shot it. He wasn't quite sure. Elisha, sensing this, sensing that the king didn't understand that he had a role to play, he turns to him, verse 18, and he says, okay, now take the arrows. And once he had them, he told them, strike the ground. Strike the ground. And the Bible says that the king hit the ground once, twice, three times, and then he stopped. Not sure, not understanding what this symbolism meant. Unsure of his role, of his place. Crying over Elisha, but quite possibly not over Elisha, the person, the prophet, but what he might bring to his kingdom. Deliverance when needed. The king then goes through the ritual that the prophet invites him to do, but he doesn't understand. But more importantly, he doesn't actually believe Verse 19, the man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck the ground five or six times. Then you would have defeated Aram completely, but now you will only defeat it three times. Then Elisha died and was buried. End of story. See, there at the end, there at the end of his life, one more lesson, one more invitation. And the invitation is simple. God is the deliverer. He is the winner. But will you trust him? And will you trust him all the way? See, I've been reading the story of Elisha and sharing it with you because I think God's instructions through Elisha for the Israelites are the same things and the same challenges that we face. See, if, if, if you read 2 Kings, if you read their travails, you find them eerily similar to us. And here's how. The people of Israel would come to God when they needed something, desperate, and Elisha would, would bring God's message of hope an invitation to believe, and then he would deliver. But as soon as the emergency passed, the people would go back to doing things they always did. And if you read the, the, the descriptions of the other kings of Israel, 
The Bible says they did evil in the eyes of the Lord because they did not remove from their houses and their places their idols and their places of worship, what's called the high places, the Asherah poles and the high places. And here's why I'm telling you this, because I want you to understand what's happening to the Israelites. Though they know they belong to God, though they know they're God's people, though they know that God is on their side and will fight their battles, they continue to reserve a part of their life to trusting and believing in other things. In the word, it's called idols. But in our lives, they may not be physical idols, but the concept is the same. And so what we have here in Israel, and in particular this king who is, who, is, who is resembling the people, you have someone who wants to believe and wants to try, but ends up just doing things on the surface, but reserving their heart for somebody else. So Elisha says, the Lord's victory. And then he says, you have a role to play. How willing are you to play it? And the king strikes it once, twice, three times. He doesn't understand. He's just going through the motions. It's just another religious ritual for him. He doesn't understand that God's victory is assured, but it's dependent on our faithfulness and our perseverance. Because perseverance brings about faith. And not understanding that, he doesn't realize that there is a sacrifice that he must make. Instead, he wants the blessing of God without any of the sacrifice. And in that way, he's not unlike us. For many of us come to church and might be here today simply to check off the box or fulfill the habit or the thing that we've always done, but our hearts and our minds are somewhere else. Our identity is found in something else, in someone else. And we're just going through the motions. Standing up for the songs, closing our eyes for the prayers, but we don't really believe in the power of God. And so we strike the ground three times. Is this enough? Did I do it right? Am I done? Are we done? And the prophet is upset. The prophet says, you should have, you should have believed. You should have struck it. Over and over again, you should have asked God for more and more and more blessing. Because what he has shown us in his life, and there's nothing impossible for God. There's nothing that's too much to ask. He can bring people back from the dead. He can lift, uh, uh, when there's a siege, it can be lifted. He can make impossible things about this time tomorrow. But the question is, will you trust him or will you still continue to think he cannot and will not? You're just hedging your bets by being here. Just striking the ground three times for a good show. Elisha the prophet lived a life in defiance of our Laodicean, half-hearted, lukewarm living. You remember how we began his story? When he was called, he burned his equipment. He burned it all. He had a chance. He could have said, well... I'm going to go follow you, Elijah, but just in case, I'm going to save these things if that doesn't work out. But he doesn't. He goes all in. He burns the plow, cooks the oxen, throws a party, and says, I'm done with that life. I am now wholeheartedly in with God. I belong to him. He will be my provider. He will be my answer. He will be my guide. He will be my everything. And the Bible tells us 
that when he went all in, it unlocked these miracles, not only for himself, but for the people that believed in God. The people that asked for his help. That's why ground, the ground was healed. That's why axes floated in water. That's why uh, uh, barren women were blessed with children and they were back, come back from the dead. That's why chariots of fire could appear in the mountain. That's why four lepers could defeat an entire army with their bravery. In his life, we find this example that if we go all in with God, we are able to unlock unlimited potential. But opposed to him, we see this king and those that came before him who, who play the role and have the name, but their heart, they have other things. If you read their instructions, each king would come and try to do right, but they would, listen carefully, they would not remove the idols out. They were holding back something. And I'm afraid that's the same is true for us. You're here, and I'm grateful that you are, and that we're praising God. And, and I don't doubt your sincerity and desire, but only you know what you're holding back. See, because I think for some of us, we are challenged to believe that being a son and a daughter of God is enough. So instead, we try to draw our value from our work, from what possessions we have, from our, some other identity marker, maybe a relationship, something that we think, okay, that is where I'll find my true value and my true self. That is how I measure my importance and my place in this world. But Elisha was all in. And his invitation to you and to me is, do you want to go all in? Will you strike the grounding? And how often? Will you trust in God? Do you believe the victory is his? And will you persevere? I'm afraid that, uh, I don't know if you know the story here, but I'm kind of afraid to read it to you in 2 Kings. Because after all the things that happened in Elisha, you kind of hope that finally somebody gets it. As I've described to you, what we have currently is two kingdoms, the kingdom of Judah and the kingdom of Israel. They were all one people at one point, but now they're split into two. And if you read the next chapters, this king and the king, they're going to go to war, brother against brother. But the worst part of it is, is that re despite Elisha's life and ministry and invitation after invitation, the people just wouldn't listen. Well, I'm just going to have to read it to you. It, it broke my heart to read it, but I'm afraid that if I don't read it to you, God will be upset with me. 2 Kings chapter 17. In 2 Kings chapter 17, <clears throat> all the warnings that God has been giving time and time again, generation after generation, he's been offering them invitation after invitation just like I'm offering you. But the people listened, they nodded, they stood up to worship, but nothing changed back in their real lives, back at home. And eventually in chapter 17, God says, I can't help you anymore. You refuse my help. And the king of Syria came, and he took them all out and defeated Israel and repopulated Samaria with foreigners, which is why the world looks the way it does today. Verse 7, I'm just going to read it to you. 
Bible says, all this took place because the Israelites sinned against their God, the God who had brought them out of Egypt. And they worshiped other gods, listen, and followed the practices of other nations, those right around them, practices that the kings of Israel introduced to them. The Israelites, verse 9, secretly did things against the Lord that were not right. From watchtower to fortified city, they built themselves high places in all their towns. They set up sacred stones and asherah poles on every high hill and under every spreading tree. At every high place, they burned incense as the nations whom the Lord had driven out before them had done. They did wicked things that aroused the Lord's anger. They worshiped idols, even though God told them, don't do this. And God warned Israel and warned Judah through all the prophets. He kept saying, turn from your evil ways, observe my commands, follow my law, the things that I've given to your ancestors to obey, the way that I delivered you and delivered you through my servants and the prophets. But they would not listen. They were stiff-necked as their ancestors who did not trust God. Listen, they rejected his decrees. They rejected the covenant. They, they rejected the statutes. They followed worthless idols. So they themselves became worthless. They imitated the nations around them, although God said to them, don't do that. They forsook all the commands that God had offered them and set up for themselves idols. They bowed down to all these things and worshiped Baal. They even sacrificed their sons and daughters. So the Lord was angry and he removed them from his presence. Therefore, God rejected all the people of Israel, and he afflicted them and gave them into the hands of the enemy. And when he tore Israel away from the house of David, they made this other king their king. And the Israelites persisted in their sins and didn't turn away from their sins until God had to remove them from his presence. And lastly, verse 41 and 40, and because they would not listen, even while these people were worshiping God, they kept serving their idols. And to this day, their children and grandchildren do as they do. See, the reason this is heartbreaking to me is because what God is saying here is that you can pretend to follow God. It might look like it, but if in your heart you're really giving yourself and your life and your identity to something else, eventually, you lose sight of God himself, and he cannot help you. Do you realize how sad that is? And is that what you want? Because I'm afraid that many of us are just here, we're literally just going through the motions. Some of us are here because our parents are here, or because it's the way I was brought up. But it means very little. When I leave this place, I might even sing, be on the worship team, but when I leave this place, I just go back to my ordinary life, my other idols, my work, my things, my people, the things that I value, the things that I think give me identity, purpose. But God says, you're only going to hurt yourself. It's going to end in heartbreak. So just like Moses offered, there's blessings and curses. And the offer is the same to us. Blessings or curses. In this church, in this time, the opportunity is the same to us. My wish, my resolution for this year was to make us biblically aware. So I have struggled to tell you and share with you the truths of the Bible. That God is challenging us to go all in, not just halfway. Not just a little bit. 
but to go all in. That means all of my identity, all of my worth must be found in him because only then do I have things in the correct perspective. Only then can I finally begin to see that God is for me, not against me. But when I'm reserving a part of myself, when I'm reserving my identity, my worth, and other things, then I am striking the ground only three times, only part of the victory. I refuse then to complete the task. You know, it isn't always easy, but that's why the hand is there. God says, I will be with you. I will, I will make sure that you can accomplish it, but you've got to trust me, and we've got to go all the way. So I have challenged you this year to trust in the prophetic gifts of God, that just like he gave them promises for the first birth, <laughs> the first advent, his promises for the second advent are also true. God is coming. His son is coming soon, but we must learn to live in anticipation of that. Are you ready? I have challenged you to believe that God's instructions aren't simply a head thing, but a physical thing. How you eat, sleep, watch, and live are a reflection of what's on your inside. So a little less red, remember? Eat more green, a little less sugar. And I know in July, people are like, I'm going to do it. But soon, soon we just revert back to our own way. We just like them. We refuse to take out from our homes our idols and the asher poles that we've raised up for ourselves. I don't know what it is for you. It might be your entertainment. The thing that you douse your worrying mind with. It might be for you a relationship that God needs to remove from your life, but you won't let it go because you think that's where your identity is. It might be your job or your career that you think finally gives you value. But I guarantee you that will always run aground your worth in Christ. And it might be your finances, your struggle for or your, your grasping of. It certainly has been a challenge for me and my family. When I was young, I told this first service, when I was young, I had nothing. So finances were not an issue. <laughs> right? Come on, some of y'all remember. <laughs> when you had nothing... You would give God everything because you had nothing. You know, you, oh, you got $2, you give it to God because what's, what's, you're living on faith anyway. You're going to places not knowing the outcome. No reservations. You're just showing up. But as you get older, as you have a career, as you begin to develop and amass wealth, it's a, natural, it's a natural tendency to want to be identified with what you have done, accomplished, or gained. And so a lesson that God is trying to teach us and is constantly teaching us is that it all belongs to him. We're just managing it. It all belongs to him. And for my family and I, an act of sacrificial giving has, has been a way, a symbolic way to physically give trust into God. So every year, at the end of the year, for the last few years here at Benita, we've been sharing this act with you where we wrestle with and we give our money to God. And we just trust it. I don't know where it's going to go. I don't know what it's going to do. That's not my concern. My, my concern is that I don't have the power to trust in myself, which is the lie that money makes you believe, that if you have it, you can defend yourself, protect yourself, be, be, be shielded from emergency or worry just in case. But somehow if you have this, then you are safe, that you are good. But none of that's true. So my wife and I pray about it. We have a number 
and we just give that over. It removes from us power and forces us to trust in God. And what I've learned and had to learn this year is that God gives and God can take away. And in all circumstances, I must praise him for it. As you know, uh, a couple years ago, God gave us this amazing gift. I mean, literally, a miraculous giving of an RV that we had. And uh, this year, it's gone. And a lot, of, uh, a lot of my plans for the future were in that RV. I was already ready to retire, you know, and cross the country in this RV, and now it's gone. So I have to kind of wrestle with what that means, you know. Maybe you do. Things don't work out the way you wanted to, and you have to begin to wrestle with, wait, what was I putting my hopes in? Where's my identity lie? And will I trust the victory to be God's, or was I actually trying to gain it for myself? Or believing that it was me. So Elisha says to the king, take these arrows and strike the ground. For me, this is one of the ways I'm doing that. I'm putting my trust in God. And I want to share that invitation to you. As we prepare to sing a song of offering here, as we have invited you, as we have invited you to do, we've been asking you to pray and consider whether or not you need to make an act of sacrificial giving. So that's what we're going to do as a church. I want to unlock God's potential for the coming year for us as a church community. Now trust me, the money that you give here goes to bless you. It goes right back to you and your children. And you've been seeing that through our Generous Ebenita initiative. It supports Christian education. It supports all the ministries to the generations. It gives us this wonderful place and the music and everything that we do. But the most important thing that the offering and tithes do is it relieves us from the burden of having to save ourselves. It places us directly into God's hands for his victory. Because I believe God can do more than what we can do. That's his intention. I believe that God wants to do more for this church and for you and for your family than you even want to do for yourself. He says, I have plans for you, not to harm you, but to give you hope and a future. And the thing that's missing is just our faith. So the question I have for you is, are you just going to strike the ground three times? Are you just going to check off the box? Or do you want to go all in with God? This year, 2019, was hard for many of us. But maybe we need to put this year behind us and look forward by saying, okay, God, I made it to here. But for the future, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to go all in. I'm going to tear down the things that have been holding me back from trusting you all the way. I know that for me, that means I have to turn over my finances. I don't know what it is for you. It might be a change of job. It might be, you know, something that needs to change in your household. Some practice or habit or some sin that you've just gotten comfortable with that you just explain to yourself that you're entitled to it. But God says... Don't do like the people do. Follow me. Don't get settled into what everyone else is doing around you. We are God's people. God's people. We're not Americans. We're not Southern Californians. We're not Israelites or Jews. We are God's people. Followers of the Christ child. In Him, we find everything that we need. And in Him, we become everything he means for us. So I'm going to invite you as we sing an offering, a song of offering. My kids will stand here in front. And I know this is weird. It's a physical act of trust. 
I'm going to invite you to bring down that envelope of sacrificial giving. You can also bring any tithes or offerings or any gift. Should you choose not to give today, that's okay. There's no shame in it. But I'm challenging you, if God has placed it on your heart, to strike the ground more than three times. For those of you that chose to give online, we're grateful. This is not, no one's checking here. We're just inviting you to participate in this physical act of giving and asking God to give us the faith necessary to trust Him. So as we sing, would you trust God? and make an act of sacrificial giving.